Great. Well, good morning, and uh, we're going to be looking into God's Word together, to the Bible, into the New Testament part of it. Uh, And if you'd like to turn up the passage that we're looking at, it's on page 1145 uh, in the Bibles nearby to you. Or if you don't have one of those, you've got your own, rather, then it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, we'll be looking at verse uh, 6 later on as we begin to read. Just if you've been uh, coming uh, for a while, you may uh, know that one of the things we do here each Sunday is look at God's Word together and see how we can learn from it. And then uh, in our small groups, because small groups are an important part of our our life together, we usually look at the same passage and talk about how it might apply into our lives and so on. And uh, we've been, uh, just for a few weeks, looking uh, at uh, this book that's uh, open in front of you now, Uh, called 1 Corinthians. It's one of the New Testament uh, epistles, one of the letters that were written to uh, quite a new church, really, um, in the uh, first century, just about, uh, no more than about, uh, well, at least uh, 30 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's kind of in those very early days. Um, The Apostle Paul, uh, one of the the leaders of, of the churches at that time, uh, has written this letter to this church community that he was involved in starting. You can read about that in the book of Acts. And uh, as we've already seen, it's this newish church, but it's having some trouble, some difficulties. Um, there's, uh, we've seen quite a bit of division going on among them. People have been fighting about different aspects, different personalities. We thought uh, a few weeks ago about the culture that they, they found themselves in. Corinth was a, uh, a typical uh, a Roman, significant Greek Roman city of the time, and the, the culture around was powerful. It was very different to uh, the values of Jesus Christ and, and the kingdom of God. And so this little community is under pressure to, to work out how they should be living. They used to be you know, full-on pagans, so to speak. Not many of them were from the Jewish background like some churches in the New Testament. And so they had a lot of kind of adjusting and learning to do. Um, they were very keen, we've seen, on, on the whole idea of wisdom, uh, like uh, you know, the, the idea of a big philosophies and celebrity speakers used to go to their city and they have great lectures and offer all kinds of insights and knowledge. And, and, and the whole thing was, was a bit of a power game, power and wisdom and philosophies. But it was all stuff that was very much around them in the world at the time. I won't go any more detail. If you want some more background on it, you can uh, go onto our website, www.portswood.org, and uh, click on uh, uh, the downloads and listen to the first in the series. There's a lot more background there. But we've seen that the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, really wants to get this church back on track again. That's what the letter is all about. And so far, we, we've, we've seen that he, he's been telling them again and again that Jesus, Jesus Christ, And his death on the cross as God's Messiah, God's chosen agent, the the means through which God was going to fulfill his promises to put everything right and bring kind of the whole universe ultimately into kind of order again. That this Jesus Christ, this Messiah, this one at the center of God's purposes was crucified on a cross. uh, Which is a shameful thing to the culture around at the time. And that whole truth cut right across all their favorite ideas, all their favorite values, all the things that mattered to them most in the culture, in their background. 
And Paul goes on to talk about what they understood to be wisdom and the, what Paul calls the wisdom of this world just doesn't work with a crucified Jesus. And yet, they're at the very centre of God's purposes. Right there at the heart of God's activity is a man dying in apparent failure and weakness on a cross. It's great to sing that last song. Thanks for that song. It was great. That, that, but it's, it's that kind of enigma that the song captures. This is Jesus in his glory dying on a cross. And Paul's talked about that in the first two chapters, and you can, can read over that if you haven't heard it so far. And he says, look, God's power and God's wisdom, real wisdom, real power, is somehow seen, focused in that event more than anything else. It seems weak, it seems foolish, but it's God's power and it's God's wisdom. And that didn't fit very well with the Corinthian culture. And actually, if you think about it, it doesn't fit too well with our culture either. Now, in this, these first few chapters and, uh, and other times in his writings, Paul often talks about how God calls people. He talks about, you know, your calling, you were called. And when he talks about that, it's not so much this idea that God's kind of pre-selected certain people and, and deselected other people. But that God, when he invites people uh, into his great movement of rescue and salvation, all centered around what Jesus the Messiah has done, when, when, when we respond to that, we realize that we're caught up in, in a tremendous plan that goes back from you know, eternity past. It, it, it's kind of where we, where we are when we get there, not the reason we get there, if you see what I mean. That sense of calling. And when Paul talks about call, it's a kind of a shorthand to God's great activity in, in, in doing all of that so we can be rescued, so that we can know him. And Paul says, as we saw two weeks ago, he says to the Corinthians, look, think of what you were like when you were called. Not many of you were wise. How many of you were philosophers, celebrities? How many of you were really powerful dudes? How many of you were high-class high celebrities in Corinth? Not many of you at all. In fact, hardly any of you. No, Paul says, God actually loves to take and call and get involved in his purposes. Just regular people who are weak and foolish, a bit stupid sometimes, and who will be looked over. And he's talked about that. And then he goes on to say, look who God speaks through. He says, look, Paul reminds them of what happened when he came as the Apostle Paul and told them about Jesus. He said, what was it like? Did I come with, you know, a, 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 my own personal stuntman, as it were, or with a firework display? Or did I come with tremendous philosophy and, you know, erudite thinking and stuff that was so complicated nobody understood what I said? No, he said, I came with a simple message about Jesus crucified. And in that, the power of God was seen. Dying, Jesus dying on the cross. And the Holy Spirit, he said, this message came uh, in, in, with power. Verse 5, your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Because as, as Paul shared this simple message with them, and the implications of it, stuff happened in their lives. They were changed. They were transformed. They began to see God at work. Same today. Let's read on then, because we're going to have a look at uh, verse 5 onwards. Your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them, and they cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man, the spiritual person, makes judgments about all things, but they themselves are not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So here we have this bunch of people who love wisdom or or in a culture where wisdom was the big thing. Big ideas, secret obscure knowledge, uh, big reputations, a lot of power all hinging on on, on knowledge, power and knowledge. Now that's an interesting combination that's still with us, isn't it? And Paul has told them that the way of their culture into this kind of uh, wisdom and thinking your way out of every possible situation is not it. There is another way, and it's God's wisdom. So our first, the first thing he says to them is, look, I want you, first of all, to, to grow in God's wisdom. And we see that in verses 6 to 10. Growing in God's wisdom. See what he says there, verse 6? We do speak wisdom to the mature. Now, what's this idea of mature mean? Well, it has the idea of, of, of developing, of, of kind of going on. Paul in in Colossians says it was his ambition to to see people mature in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, well, you don't need to look at it now, he talks about how his desire is for the whole community to, to reach mature manhood. He says, it's like, I want you as a whole church community to grow up, to be mature, growing into Jesus, the likeness of the Jesus, he says. And then if, if you uh, wanted to see another time when he, uh, which is, uh, I'd like to just read a few other verses in Philippians 3. You can listen to it or keep one, one finger in where you are and turn to Philippians 3 on page 1180 if you like. This is Paul talking again about his life and his walk with Jesus, his spiritual road. Uh, verse 13, halfway through verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. You've got this idea, I, you know, I haven't got there yet, but I, I want to keep going. He said, I'm like someone on a race, there's a prize at the end of the race, and I'm going to just keep going until I get there. I'm going to keep pressing on. I haven't got there yet. 
That's how he's describing himself. And then verse 15, see what it says there? All of us who are mature should take such a view of him. That's the same word. So the point that Paul is, when he says we speak a, a, a wisdom to the mature, he's not saying there's a superclass of Christians who are mature. There's a division between, you know, class A Christians, you know, Premier League Christians and championship Christians, you know. Uh, and the, to the mature, we, we speak wisdom. No, he's talking about people who are, are on the journey, all believers, really, as we shall see, need to be on this road towards maturity, growing into to what they've been called to do, called for. So people who are mature aren't people who've made it yet, but they are people who are pressing on, like Paul is pressing on. So what he's saying to the Corinthians and to us too is that we need to grow in this wisdom from God. And it's very different from the stuff on offer from the world around, isn't it? Look at what Paul says there about this uh, verse 6, second half. Not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now there's another interesting phrase that it's often hear, you hear of in the New Testament, this, this idea of this age. What is this age marked out by? Well, Paul says it's coming to nothing. What also do we learn about this age? Verse 8, the rulers of this age didn't understand what God was doing. This age and the kind of thinking of this age leads to the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. And, and, and when Paul talks about this age, the, the, the strong implication you read it in other parts of the New Testament is that there is another age that is breaking into this age, as it were. That some, God is doing something new that started with Jesus the Messiah when he came and declared that actually the kingdom of God was here now, it was beginning. The age to come is breaking into the present. And the present is, is doomed in that sense. It's, it's over, it's finished. It's coming to nothing. And Paul is saying you need to be realized, realizing, Corinthian Christians, that, that you know, you, in one sense you don't fit within the present age, you're part of the age to come. And in a sense, we need to get the same idea, don't we? And do we get that difference? Do we see how, how we kind of fit in a different way now? Not that we kind of leave, leave this age early, you know, kind of take, a, take an early um, shower or bath and, you know, leave the game, so to speak, and, and go and sit out somewhere waiting for it to end in some way. No, not that at all. But we do need to live life a bit differently, don't we? Perhaps we need to live life lightly. Perhaps we shouldn't be holding on to the stuff that this age is all about too tightly. That we can follow Jesus because actually it doesn't matter that much what it costs us because ultimately we're rooted into the age to come. And the power, the glory, the Holy Spirit actually is that kind of guarantee of God's working in us now and on into the age to come. Do we get that? Am I just too far kind of locked into the present age and completely oblivious that as a believer I'm kind of connected in with the age to come? This wisdom, Paul says, is from the outside. It's God's wisdom. He says it's been hidden. It's like a secret that's now being revealed. That's what that means. And Paul says it's been unlocked in the message that he's preached. We read that in the earlier verses. He says that God has destined something. See that? In the verse 7, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory. 
before time began. Now that's interesting. God's got this purpose, and that somehow we who are believers, it's for our glory that we'll reflect God's character. That this age to come is part of our experience now. For our glory, for our glory, it says. That's an interesting phrase. Verse nine. Look at verse nine. No eye has heard, no ears eyes seen, no ears heard, etc. What God has prepared for those who love Him. Nobody could have thought it up. God has done an amazing thing for people who love Him, who come to know Him through Jesus. That's. You and me, if we're Christian believers, that's what we're part of. We're caught up in something that is rooted in God's purposes, that were outside of time itself. And if you look at these verses, it's fascinating. You've got this idea of a plan before time. You've got something about what's at the center of it, the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. That happens kind of in the middle of time, so to speak, quite literally, if you take the ADBC thing seriously. And then... It talks about what God's prepared in the future for those who love him. The whole kind of future experience of life with God when this whole age is wrapped up and over. That's the kind of extent of what we're part of. That's what God's prepared for us, isn't it? Quite something, if you think about it. So as we grow, do we grow in this wisdom? Do we realize, do I realize that this age is temporary? That doesn't mean, as I say, we junk it, we get out of it, but it means that perhaps we live in it in a slightly different way to everybody else. Do we reflect God's glory? Do we realize that there's a purpose for us to live in a way that is for his glory? Do we live by the age to come, even though we may be misunderstood, like Jesus was? This age, the rulers of this age, did actually crucify the Lord of glory. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul says, we have a plan destined for our glory, to glorify God. The Lord of glory came, he was crucified because this age didn't understand. If we're living for God's glory, we may also suffer as a result of it. We don't necessarily want to, want to court suffering or persecution, but brothers and sisters all around the world will know what it means to live for the glory of God and to know misunderstanding and suffering as a result. Do we get how big these purposes are for us? Do we realize what we're part of as believers? Are we pushing on into that to understand it, to live it? Verse 10 says, all of this, growing in the wisdom of God, the wisdom that is so different from the wisdom of this age, where does that come from? God has revealed it to us, it says, by his spirit. So that's the second thing. We need to learn from God's spirit. Not just, not just to grow in God's wisdom. These, Paul is saying to, the, saying to these Corinthians, you need to learn from God's spirit. Look at verses 10 to 16. Verse 11 is uh, interesting. It's telling us that if we're to get to know God... We need help. That may be a rather humbling thing for you if you, uh, you're not yet a, a follower of Jesus. You might think, well, why do I should I need help? You know, I can work it out. But we do have a problem in trying to work out 
what God's like and who he is simply on our own. Verse 11, Paul puts into words uh, quite a big issue from Greek philosophy, apparently. And there's a principle that that, that those into Greek philosophy, I don't know, you can check me out afterwards. I I meant to ask my son did philosophy, but uh, I haven't had a chance to do that. And the big principle is simply this, like is known by like, okay? You can only know something if you're, you're like it. In other words, you can only know someone if you're a bit like them, i.e. if you're in the same species. You know, if, if you're a human being, then you can get to know another human being, uh, but you can't really get to know something that is not a human being, really. You don't even know whether you can know them. I mean, maybe you've got a dog, and I know some of, some of us are like our dogs and so on, and we feel that we know them, and we kind of do know them, but they're a dog and we're a human being, and you know, there's a big kind of limitation We don't even know what they know because they can't tell us and we don't understand them anyway. See what I mean? And Paul is kind of saying this here and and it was a a principle of Greek philosophy. He says, look, uh, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same one, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Only God knows what God's like. And if we're not God, then we can't know what he's like fully. I mean, even when we're of the same species, you know, think about our relationships, you know, with your, your husband, your wife, your partner. Sometimes you, you still don't perhaps understand them, you know. And that goes into the second thing Paul says, is that the only know way you do know what I'm thinking, even the closest person to me in my life, Mary, my wife, I can't see, where is she? Somewhere, huh? I can't see. Where is she? She's, uh, oh, there she is there, right, okay. Um, carefully hidden in the middle there. Um, she doesn't know what I'm thinking unless I tell her. You know, and, and what, sometimes, you know, we have trouble in our marriages because we forget, don't we, that, hey, we're not telepathic, you know. We have to tell people in our relationships, we have to tell them what we're thinking or how we're feeling. We can't just expect them to kind of pick it up just from telepathy or from emotional interference in the atmosphere or some kind of microwave technology emotionally. We can't do that that way. They have to tell us. And Paul is saying, look, the only way, you, you know, you know what I'm thinking is if the only one that knows is the very inner self that's me can tell what I'm thinking. And so I reveal it to you. See, that's the point he's making there in verse 11. So for us to know God's truth, for us to know what God's like, we need God to help us. We just can't get there on our own. And Paul says, this is how God's helped us, verse 12. He's given himself to us as a gift. Verse 12, look what that says. It talks about receiving the spirit who is from God, not from the world. So as seekers after God, as we become Christian believers... We, we understand, we grow, we, we can't work God out, but the Holy Spirit helps us. That's what Jesus said he'd do uh, in John's Gospel. And that's how the problem is resolved. The spirit we have is God's spirit who, who helps us. It can be part of our experience. And again it says, verse 12, uh, he helps us to understand, see that verse at the end, what God has freely given us. God has given the gift of himself. So when we receive Christ into our lives, when we understand that message, when we begin that new life, 
It's God that we receive into our lives by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God's grace. Now, what does God do with this gift? Well, see what it says there. It says he teaches us. There's several times in verse 13. Uh, well, we, we realize, uh, verse 12, the Spirit who is from God that we may understand. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. How does he do it? How does he teach us? Verse 13, Paul talks about the words he, Paul, spoke. Paul says, the words I quote we, slash we, the words the apostles gave to them, the words they spoke, is how the Holy Spirit helps them to learn, to understand stuff about God. He's talking about the words he spoke when, we was, when he was with him. That's why verse 6 actually says, we do, however, the NIV translates it, speak a message of wisdom. Actually, there's no word message, although the NIV is kind of right to put it in there. He says, we speak, we speak wisdom. And previously, he's talked about this, this message that he proclaimed about Jesus crucified was the wisdom of God and the power of God. So what Paul is saying is what he and the others who spoke to the Corinthians about, what the Corinthians spoke to one another about, what they speak about, these words that they speak, are expressing spiritual truths taught by the Spirit. That was the message he preached. Now, if only we had that message, wouldn't that be helpful? Well, we do, don't we? (laughs) Here it is. It's in the New Testament. It's in the Bible. The truth that Paul spoke, the message the apostles spoke, the, the, the words that Jesus spoke, it's all here, or enough of it is here. And, and you know, I wonder whether we realize that, that this is one way the Holy Spirit actually helps us to learn, to grow, to understand. It's not the only way, but it is a really crucial way. Absolutely essential. So how does the Spirit teach us? as we hear and understand the message, as we get it into our lives. That's why I call this big point learning from the Spirit. Because if you look down the paragraph, I wasn't going to, but when I looked at it, it seemed there's all these references to learning, understanding, words taught. You know, there's all, all the stuff is all there about, about learning stuff. And it's the Holy Spirit who is teaching us through the stuff that we hear, through the Word of God. That's what Paul seems to be saying to me. You can check that out, see what you think. Now, I wonder whether that kind of puts what we do in our house group in a slightly different light, doesn't it? Maybe that puts what we do when we read the Bible on our own or when we listen to it in the CD and on the CD or when we talk about God's word with someone else or when we you know, seek to kind of get our heads around it, even in quite a difficult passage like this as we come, to, you know, on Sundays or other times. You know, all this is part of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. It's a supernatural thing. It's quite exciting if you stop and think about it. Your house group is, you know, the, the, the living God. The, the, it talks about the, you know, the, only, you know, the only way God can be known is by God, by the Holy Spirit. Is at work in your group of, you know, 10 people or whatever they are with, with your, your cakes and your coffee or whatever you have. And, you know, we have a bit more in Beavis because we have a meal beforehand. But, you know, uh, but, but that, that event, as you kind of getting this stuff into your lives and stuff, 
God is there doing that, doing stuff. So when you read, when you, you know, you can read the Bible and ask God by His Holy Spirit to, to teach you something. That's what I'm saying. Do we get that? Do we realize? Does it put things in a different light? But now there's more to it though than just hearing these spiritual truths or reading them. Verse 14 tells us that there's something going inside somebody. Sorry, something going on inside someone. Because it says there, it's actually a contrast being set up in verse 14. He talks about the man without the Holy Spirit or the person without the Holy Spirit and the person with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that the, that the Holy Spirit enables us to accept the things that come from God. And the word there is this idea, you know, if, if you come to my house um, and say, I say, come on in, make yourself at home, you know, etc. Do you want a cup of coffee? You know, listen to a CD or whatever. That whole process of, you know, make yourself at home, that's the idea behind the idea of accepting it, okay? Not just accepting that it's true, but kind of embracing it into your lives. And, and Paul is saying the Holy Spirit enables us to accept God's truth into our lives, kind of make it live and, and, and be at home among us. Again, Jesus promised, didn't he, in John's Gospel, in the Upper Room Discourse, he said, if a, man, if a person loves me, I will come and my Father will come and make our home in them, in him. Something's going on inside us. The Holy Spirit enables us to accept these things. We can understand them, it says. We can discern them. Now, that's a word we'll think of in a minute. And as I say, there's this contrast between the person without the Holy Spirit. They can't see it all. They can't see it at all. They're all about the present age at the moment. It's all foolishness to them. Paul's talking not about, you know, again, you know, championship Christians rather than Premier League. Christians, he's talking about people who don't know God at all. They haven't got God in their lives at all. They're part of the, the present age. The, the age to come is, whoa, yeah, don't talk to me about the age to come. I know what that's about, you kind of thing. There's this contrast. But he says those, those believers, believers, the person with the Holy Spirit is not like that. What can they do? It talks about discerning. Three times there's this word in this last verse there, verse 15. Uh, discerning, spiritually discerned. What does that mean? Well, it means being able to judge something for being true or not, right or wrong. You know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, before a trial, there's stuff goes on before a trial, you know, uh, lawyer, any lawyers here, you know? You have a pre-trial hearing where all the evidence is kind of examined and they decide whether or not it can go to trial. Yeah? The same word is used in the ancient world in a, in a similar context. It's this idea of kind of going over stuff and coming to a, a settled conclusion about something. It's about kind of judging, not judging in the sense of saying, you know, you're wrong, you're bad, but judging in the sense of saying, this is the right way to go, this is the right way to live and this isn't. This is what I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to do. This is how I honour Jesus in my life, and this isn't. It's that kind of practical being able to discern between what God wants us to do, what's right. It's the practical wisdom. And Paul is saying, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit, and we need to grow with him, to learn from him. We need to realise that there's a process of spiritual growth, a process of loving God. 
See that phrase, prepared for those who love him, back there in verse 9. That we can look to God, that we can ask the Holy Spirit to lead us forward in the way that Jesus would have us live. So Paul imagines someone who is able to discern this for themselves. He says somebody doesn't have to keep asking, oh, should I do that? Is it right or is it wrong? You know, should I wander off this way or, you know, kind of, should I do this, should I do that? But, but has a kind of sense of, yeah, this, this is the way I'm learning to go God's way. I'm able to discern for myself between what God wants me to do and what God doesn't want me to, get to do. Yeah? God's word can tell us what to do in lots of ways. Sometimes we, we're blind to that anyway. <laughs> Sometimes, as I know some of us will know in our lives, we struggle with all kinds of stuff. We know what God's word says, but we still find ourselves, oh, should I do that? We start making excuses with ourselves and saying, well, well I'm a special case in here, and I know, well, I did this the other day, so it would be right if I do that today, and etc., etc. Et no, Paul is saying we need to learn. The Holy Spirit helps us to, to learn to discern what God wants us to do how we can honour him in our lives and really what we should take a pretty wide berth on. And it's not just knowing in our heads, but having the power to do that in our lives. Because if it was all about knowing what we should or shouldn't do in terms of there, we'd be fine, wouldn't we? <laughs> None of us would ever go back to an old addiction or an old temptation or an old you know, visit to a pornography site ever again if all we had to do was know about it. There's more to it. We need the Holy Spirit's help to to teach us, to enable us to actively choose between what God wants for us and what is not good and honouring and glorifying to him. So that's how Paul sees it. So here's the question. Am I? I'll say it to myself. Am I responding to God's Spirit? Are you? Are we learning what it is to discern what he wants in our lives? When I read God's word, when I share with others, when I time re- spend time reflecting on him, do I realize that God is in my life by the Spirit? Do I ask him to work? Do I look for his leading? Do I expect him to be transforming? Do I just ask? And Paul finally quotes verse 16, Isaiah 40, verse 3. It's a verse about the mind of the Lord. It's a bit complicated and uh, I'm oversimplifying it. Forgive me if you're an expert biblical scholar and I'm oversimplifying. I know I'm doing it, but that's no excuse. But anyway, I am. He quotes Isaiah 40 verse 3. And what he's saying is if we're growing in our relationship with God, then God's mind shapes us. God's revealing of himself by his spirit Shapes. It's saying God has got all that we need, doesn't it? He said, we, don't, we can't teach the Lord anything. Nobody can teach God anything. He doesn't need anyone to instruct him. We can't get into his mind, but, it says, the mindset of Jesus can become part of our lives. That's what he's saying. That's an amazing... Uh, just by the way, if you're kind of in, wondering whether, you know, uh, Paul is... Um, really believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, Paul quotes Isaiah 40, which is about the Lord, Yahweh, you know, the, the holy God of Israel. He says, who's known the mind of the Lord? And then straight off he says, we have the mind of Christ. See, Jesus Christ and Yahweh the Lord, as far as Paul is concerned, 
are one. Christ is God. The mind of Christ we have. Paul talks elsewhere about having the mind of Christ, the mindset. Remember Philippians chapter 2? No need to turn to it. Paul says, have this mind among you that is yours in Jesus Christ, Philippians 2. Have that mindset, have that frame of mind. And he goes on to say, Jesus who became the servant, Jesus who took the servant role, Jesus who was in the very form of God, yet, yet, yet kind of emptied himself and took on the servant's role for us, died on the cross. That's the mindset that we can have, the mindset that serves the mindset that is like Jesus, by the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit brings Jesus into our life and our lives. He day by day changes us, helps us to grow in him. So there we are then. Paul uh, talks about growing in God's wisdom. He says to the Corinthians, God's wisdom is so different, it's so big. You can be living as part of the age to come. You can be amazingly secure because of God's purposes that you're locked into from the past that go right on into the future. God's prepared something for those who love him. Isn't that a great verse, verse 9? What God has prepared for those who love him as we we say say goodbye to some members of our fellowship and friends this week. Where are they? They're where God's prepared something for them and for us. Growing in God's wisdom and learning from God's spirit, knowing him better realizing that by the Holy Spirit, he wants us to walk this path of understanding, of learning, of discerning, of knowing how to be able to kind of make right decisions in all kinds of little things in our lives and big things too, molded by the mindset of Jesus. And that's what Paul longs for, for the Corinthians. He longs them to be at that place, longs for them to be at that place. Now we'll find out next week how they were doing. You can read on if you like, but uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's what Paul is praying, what he longs for them. But the question is, wh- wh- don't worry about the Corinthians for now. Where am I? <laughs> Where are you in that? Growing in the wisdom of God? Learning from the Spirit of God? Let's pray that we'll be different this week. Pete, thanks.